with us tonight. Before we get started with our class, we have a few announcements we want to make you aware of as we go throughout the week. We want to remember uh, the McCandless family, and we want to extend our sympathy towards them. Uh, the McCandless, this is Sherry McCandless and her family in the passing of her father, Henry Dawson, on November 29th. Uh, Mr. Dawson will be laid to rest at Wright Cemetery in Norcross tomorrow, so please keep Sherry and her family in your prayers. Uh, Mike Rogers, uh, he had a atrial heart ablation today, and uh, from, what I know, uh, from what I know thus far, on an update on that, it went well. It was successful from what I know and the information I have at this moment, so that's great news for the Rogers family, but continue to be uh, praying for Mike and his heart as we uh, go throughout the next week or so and uh, pray for Sharon as well. You can always visit the website's health update page for any other posts or any updates on any others as we go throughout the week. And we want to remind you to take a moment to fill out an online attendance card. You'll scroll down to the Watch Live, down the Watch Live page and click on uh, member attendance or visitor attendance if you're online with us. Uh, and fill that out and you can always put a prayer request that you want the elders or the ministers to be aware of or any update you'd like for the bulletin as well on that attendance online card. And want to remember Sunday we're going to be having a period of worship at 10 a.m., Bible class at 9 a.m., and uh, 6 p.m. we're going to be engaging again in the ministers of the round table in our studies of Ecclesiastes. We'll be in chapter 4 this week. Uh, remember our worship options in the auditorium in the morning. Uh, we're going to be having in-person uh, masks are recommended as you enter and exit. Downstairs we've got the mask only section and uh, all, obviously we have online capabilities as well. So please join us Sunday. It's going to be a great day. Just another uh, information about Sunday. It's very important uh, that you be here to hear uh, the upcoming year's plans. Uh, we're going to be talking about that and, and looking forward to seeing uh, the reveal of, of Kyle's theme and the different things that we're going to be doing in 2021. And I am ready to get out of 2020. Uh, but we're looking forward to the things going on in 2021, and we'll be unveiling that stuff on Sunday. So please be here and uh, join us on Sunday. It's going to be a great day of worship and exciting day for this congregation. Before we begin our study tonight, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Our dear, most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you again and we look forward to another period of study, another period of learning from your word. And Lord, we pray that we can focus on the things that you present from your word to us tonight as we look towards this new series that we're going to be talking about this quarter. We pray that you'll bless me and bless my preparation and delivery. Help me to challenge this audience in person and online and as well as myself as we go throughout this quarter of Bible study. Thank you so much for bringing us to this occasion tonight to open up your word. It is a great pleasure and a blessing that we do not take lightly. 
we pray that we will truly apply ourselves and become better Christians and followers of you each and every week this quarter. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. All right, so we're not going to be uh, talking about the book of Hebrews tonight. Uh, some of you are excited, maybe. Some of you are disappointed, maybe. Uh, well, I'm very excited because of the new series we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about what that is in a minute. I'm sure you might have seen it on the little advertisement brochures about this quarter's class, but I want to start off with a, a story about a man by the name of Robert Watson Watt. In 1935, a patent was granted to this British man for his radar system of air defense. And the slide don't work. There we go. Robert Watson Watt. He got a patent in 1935 for his radar system of defense. Airplanes were growing and airplanes were becoming the most uh, frequent use in, in war and different things going on and they were growing into these huge industry and there needed to be a way to, to see these enemies, to see these airplanes coming. And Robert Watson Watt, he came up with this radar system. This newly found way to detect enemies from miles and miles away was revolutionary to war, to all the different things that that would wind up applying to. In fact, it had a crucial impact in World War II uh, for the Allied armies in Britain and America and the others. Because of this man, Robert Watson Watt, who created the radar system. But guess what? Just like with any other creation or invention, guess what? People found ways to get around it. People found ways to be undetected by this new radar. People found ways to get around it. They found out if you, flow, if you fly low enough, if you hit that right sweet spot, that you could fly undetected by radar. This new great invention. And the idea that you could be undetected by radar was coined flying under the radar. Pretty creative, right? If people fly under the radar because if you flew low enough, you could be undetected by this new creation. And since this time, in World War II, around that area of time, the idea of under the radar has applied to many different things. A various amount of different things can be applied to this idea of flying under the radar. In fact, when I was studying for this series, this under the radar series, I found that uh, when you type in, how do I fly under the radar, I was trying to figure out, you know, how do you fly under the radar? Noah Strickland, why don't you just come up here, pilot, tell us all about it. You can fly low enough. I tried to Google it. I searched it. And the Google autofill, auto or whatever you call it, says, how do I fly under the radar at work? How do I fly under the radar at school? Right? There's, there's, there's dozens of different things that this idea of flying under the radar can apply to. And I thought this would be the perfect title for our series we're going to be talking about this quarter. 
Because so many people want to be unnoticed. So many people want to be undetected. So they decide to fly under the radar to accomplish that. You know, when it comes to God's Word, there are many figures, many characters, many people, many individuals in the Bible that flew under the radar. Not that they intentionally, not that they wanted, not that they were trying to be unnoticed or undetected, but that readers, we readers and students of the Bible, have read the Bible and missed the impact that they had on Scripture. Students of the Bible read the Bible, and we, and we have sermons, and we have lessons on these bigger-than-life characters, but we frequently forget to think about and talk about and study about and investigate the characters that flew under the radar. We don't take the time to realize their significance. We don't take the time to see how they impacted the overall story of the Bible. And sometimes the authors of the Scriptures do not take much time in describing their overall impact and significance to the story. However, we know that if these individuals that we're going to be talking about this quarter were not involved in the story, then the whole scope of Scripture would be different. The entirety of the Bible would be different if these people had not been involved. Without them, the, the bigger names, the bigger heroes, the, the bigger people in the Bible would not be a fraction of what they wound up becoming without each of these people. You know, this isn't something, you know, vague to us. We see this all the time. We see this in movies and books, do we not? We, you know, we're about to nerd out, okay? We think about Star Wars. Han Solo, what a great character. What, what a huge character to the story. So important, so pivotal, so vital to the story of Star Wars. Where would he be without Chewbacca, right? I mean, uh, how great would Han Solo be without his best friend Chewbacca? I see some smiles. I see some glares. I, I don't know what to think right now, but I like Star Wars. Get over it. All right, and then you, you, you think about where would Han Solo be without his good friend Chewbacca? You think about Lord of the Rings, polarizing again. You think about Frodo, this, this main character in the story of Lord of the Rings, but he took the ring all the way to Mordor. He conquered all, right? Not really. Where would he be without Samwise? Where would he be without Samwise taking him up the mount? And, and, and doing all the things he was, he flew under the radar, but without him, the whole story is useless. Frodo wouldn't have made it past Bag End. I mean, he wouldn't have made it anywhere without Samwise. You think about Harry Potter. There you go, Jency. I did it for you. Harry Potter. You think about Harry Potter, the, the main character, how great of an impact he had on that story, on that saga, right? But where would he be without Hermione and, I have to read these ones, Sirius Black and, and Lupin and the Weasleys? And yes, where would he be without Dobby? Right? For those fans of Harry Potter, where would he be? It's these characters that fly under the radar who, who make all the difference in the world. Without them, the entire story would be different or it would not work at all. 
now that we've nerded out, we can go back to a spiritual context in the Bible and see that the larger-than-life heroes, they often get the books named after them, and they often get sermons preached about them and get classes taught on them, and we talk about them every other, every other week, and we should. It's right for us to talk about you know, these, these great Bible heroes like Paul and David. But what about the people in Scripture who flew under the radar? Who, though being relatively unknown or unspoken about, they wound up making a real monumental impact. This quarter, this is what we're going to be studying about. We're going to be studying a different unsung hero in Scripture each week and investigating what he or she did to change the course of the entire Bible. In some weeks, you're going to be very familiar with the person we're talking about. You're going to be very familiar with who this is, and some weeks you won't be very familiar with who this is. At the end of this class, and we go through all the list of different characters and people we're going to be talking about, you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, oh man, he should have used this person. He should have used that person. He should have used... You fill in the blank. They would have been perfect for this study. You're probably right. But remember, I, I only have a limited amount of time, a limited amount of weeks, and the ones we're going to be discussing this quarter are just some of my favorites. And some that I think will definitely impact us and encourage us as we grow in our walk with Christ. Now, I'll be honest with you, another admission. Uh, this has been in the back of my head since last March. Uh, an idea to do something like this, a series like this, when we had a March Madness uh, bracket. If you'll remember that, we had an online video series, Jay Hall. Isaac May and myself, we made a March Madness, and we made it with Bible characters because we were sad about missing out on the real March Madness. So we had all these biblical heroes uh, compete against each other, and from that moment, I remember thinking about the region called the lesser-known region we had in that uh, March Madness thing, and I was like, well, you know, I think it'd be great for us to spend some time looking at some of the lesser-known Leaders, some of these unsung heroes, some of these people that flew under the radar for a Bible series for us to engage in. As I did with my last series in Hebrews, I want to talk to each of you and to myself as we begin this study and establish some goals, establish some purposes for this class at the very beginning so that we can shape our path and where we are going as we embark on this study together. I want to talk about the purpose of why we are talking about these unsung heroes. And the first reason we're talking about this study, this quarter, is I think it's important for us to understand God's expectations. We are doing this class, I want this class to help all of us understand God's expectations for us. Does God expect all of us to be a David? To be a Peter? To be a Paul? Does He expect all of us to be a Moses? These big heroes that shape the entirety of Scripture, that become bigger than life, that have you know all of this real estate in the Bible for themselves, 
Does God expect all of us to be that big of a hero or that big of a character? That's a hard question. God obviously expects a lot from us. To whom much is given, much will be required, Jesus said. But what does He expect from us? Well, the bottom line is that God expects us to serve Him with the best ability that He has given us. And nothing more. You know, so many of us struggle with finding our identity in the body of Christ. Where do I belong in the body of Christ, in this church? What role can I play in the kingdom of God? Where do I fit in? What talent can I use? What thing can I do for God? What is my role? What is my function? What is my place in the church? So many times all we can see is the people around us who look like they have it more together than us. Who look like they are doing more than we are. And so we say to ourselves, I'm not an elder, I'm not a minister, I'm not a deacon, I'm not a... You fill in the blank. And because we aren't that, we decide that there is nothing for us to do. We decide to ourselves, well, someone else will do this. Someone else will sign up to lead that prayer. Someone else will sign up to lead songs tonight. Someone else will do this. Someone else will do that. Someone else will help prepare all of the food for the fellowship. I can just show up. And so we keep ourselves from ever doing anything because we are not whoever you filled in the blank with. And this class will hopefully change our mind on that. Yeah, we might not be whoever we filled that blank in with, but there is always something that God has given us a specific talent to do. We're going to be talking about the uh, parable of the talents a few times throughout this study, but understand that he gave, there, there wasn't a man where he gave them zero talents. He gave someone one. Finding that one talent might be what you need to do. Secondly, I want this class to help us find those abilities. Find those talents that each of us have for good, for the church, for the furtherance of the borders of the kingdom of God. Each week we're going to be studying a different unsung hero and what they did to impact the overall story and it is my prayer that throughout this study some of these messages will hit home with you some of these messages will speak to you and will you will realize hey I have that ability I have that talent too I can be like them I don't have to be David or Paul or, or, or Moses or Peter I can be like this person in my walk with God you know, it may be that you are sitting here thinking, I've been in the church for decades, Ben. I know exactly God's expectations for my life. I found out my abilities and talents 25 years ago. 
I have grandchildren that are deacons in the church. Uh, what do I need to study about finding my abilities, finding my talents, finding my purpose, my role, my function, understanding God's expectations? Why would I come to hear about that? If that's you, then great. You should praise God for that, that God has led you to the ability to find out what your purpose, what your function is, what your role is in the body of Christ. But I think we would be naive to think that that's the majority. In fact, we have to understand it is not the majority. We have to acknowledge that there are so many in the body of Christ who have no clue where they fit in. They don't know what they can do, how to do it, or where to even start. And by the way, the amount of years you've been associated with the church does not automatically dictate or show how active or effective those years were spent. I want to say that again. The amount of years you've been in the church does not automatically dictate or prove how effective those years were spent. And I think it might be time for us to understand that if we only ever show up to worship, to Bible class, and we never allow those times of study and worship to compel us to action every other day of the week, then we never did find our talent and our ability and God's expectations for our life. It could be very well the case that you've been thinking that you've got this all figured out your whole life. But if you've never done anything to act out your faith, you never had it down. I'm afraid this applies to far too many people. And for sometimes it applies to myself more times than I'm comfortable to admit. This class is meant to encourage you. To encourage me to know, yes, you do not have to be David. You do not have to be Moses or Peter or Paul. He doesn't expect you to be a five-talent man when he has only given you two talents or one talent. God is just calling you to be the best Ben you can be, to be the best Greg you can be, to be the best Wayne you can be. And as long as you are ultimately aspiring to be like Christ, that's all He requires. You don't have to be whoever you filled in that blank with earlier. You simply have to be the best version of what God expects from the talents He has given you. With that, I want to back this up with some Scripture. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe this may be the, the keystone chapter in our study this quarter as we think about all the varying gifts that each of us have and the talents that God has been given to each of us. God has given us so many talents, He's given us so many gifts, He's given us so many things that we are able to do. And there is no difference than that what we find in Corinth. When Paul writes the church in Corinth, there had been so many people with so many gifts. 
that actually became a problem. Let's read the text starting in verse 4. It says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Well, there's a lot going on in that passage, but obviously the church in Corinth evidently struggled with having favorite spiritual gifts. They had favoritism among their own spiritual gifts. They were immensely blessed enough to have miraculous measures of the Holy Spirit, and yet they differentiated who had the better gift. They differentiated who had the better miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit. Oh, you can prophesy? Well, guess what? I can speak in tongues. How about that? Oh, you can speak in tongues? Well, then I can interpret tongues. How about that? You can't do that. Oh, you can interpret tongues? Well, I have immense faith. Oh, you have immense faith? Well, I can heal people. Mic drop. That's how they were acting around each other. They were having favoritism among their own spiritual gifts, and this is just not right. Paul calls them out. He says, you can't be comparing and contrasting the gifts that God has given you. When you compare and contrast God's gift, that's evil. It's evil in God's sight. Why? Because it was God who gave them those talents, not themselves. God gave them those talents. It was the same Holy Spirit that gave each of those people miraculous gifts. That is why over and over it says, through the same Spirit, by the same Spirit. They were given these different things. Look at verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Verse 6. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And look at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually. As he wills. Do you not see the, the pattern here that Paul is trying to say that, listen, yeah, guess what? You can prophesy. Yeah, you can heal people. Yeah, you can speak in tongues. You can interpret tongues. But guess what? You would be nothing if the Holy Spirit didn't give you that ability. You wouldn't be able to do a single thing. So it makes no sense for you to argue about who has the better spiritual gift because God gave those gifts as He willed. He's trying to wake them up to realize that there is no more prestigious plateau that you can attain in the eyes of God. When it comes to spiritual gifts, there, there's not this ladder that you're climbing to get to the next phase of your Christianity. 
They are all given by the same Spirit. They are all worked by the same power. And not only is it unwise, it is wrong to argue one is better than the other. Why? Because it is God who distributes to each one individually as He wills. So if you're going up to someone and saying, Ha ha, you can't interpret tongues. You're basically saying to God, Ha ha, you didn't give that guy the ability to interpret tongues. But this was going on in the church in Corinth. The text continues in verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not of a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not of an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as He pleased. So in the first, you know, verses 4 through 11, he's talking to them about how ridiculous it is to argue about who has the better gift. In verses 12 through 18, he's relating it to a body. To a human body. There is no better part than the next. The arm is just as great and useful to the body as the leg. The ear is just as useful to the body as the the eyes, and the list goes on. It makes no sense for us to argue about what part of the body that we play. Because Paul is showing not only did God set the members of the body as He pleased, but that each part of that body is there for a purpose. Every single part of the body has a purpose. No purpose is greater than in the other. And it would be ridiculous for the foot to say to the hand, listen, I'm not of the body because I'm not a hand. Your hands do a lot, do they not? They grab things, they, they do things, they allow you to do unbelievable things with your hands. Well, so do your feet. Your ear does an amazing thing when it works. You can hear. Well, so does your eye. All of the parts of the body work together for the good of the whole body. Verse 7, it talks about, back, back up to verse 7, it's, it's, the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. We've been given a foot for the profit of the hand. There's no, difference in differenti there's no reason to differentiate between these body parts. It makes no sense for the ear to say to the eyes that I'm not an eye, so I, I might as well not be a part of the body. It's ridiculous. All of the different parts coincide together to come together to the overall function and purpose of the body. The text continues in verse 19. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker aren't necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater, greater honor to that part which lacks it. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Let's stop right there. Our human body has many members. What happens when you lose one of those members? It's called dismemberment. We have many members among our body. We have hands, we have fingers, we have feet, we have toes. We have legs. We have many members among our body. But even though we are many, we are still the one body. You wouldn't call a foot its own body. You would call the foot a part of the body. That's what he's saying at the beginning of this passage. We all come together to form the one body. The point he's trying to make is even the parts that seem less honorable are necessary. Even the parts that don't get the publicity, the fame, the focus, the newspapers, those are necessary parts. They all form the function that God intended for them to form. There can't be anyone with a seemingly more important role than the other. Someone in a more important part, let's say the eye, looks at the elbow and says, yeah, you can't do anything but bend. I can see, I can look, I can, I can do all these great things. The eye can't look at the elbow and say that because the eye can't do what the elbow does. And vice versa. That's what he's saying in this passage. He's trying to let them understand what, how ridiculous they're being. The preacher cannot say to the song leader, I have no need of you. The song leader cannot say to the prayer leader, I have no need of you. The prayer leader cannot say to the bulletin board people, whoever goes around like a, a what's the little elf at Christmas times that you put on the shelf and he all changes and all of a sudden overnight he changed places. That's the bulletin board people. They're always changing the bulletin boards. You come down for work one day, it's like, wow, that looks great. Must be wintertime. Fall for Jesus uh, during the fall time, right? The bulletin board, the, 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 the prayer leader cannot say to this bulletin board person, I have no need of you. Why? Because the prayer leader might not be able to do what the bulletin board person does. Let me tell you what. Growing up, once a week it felt like we were at the church building changing the bulletin board. My mom was avid about that, and it was intense. And that's the lesson I learned one time. She said, son, all, there, always someone is in the church building. 
They'll watch what you say. Watch who you're talking about. Sure enough, to this day, that is so true, by the way. Always somebody's in the church building. That's an extra for free. But God is the one who appointed these roles. We cannot look at the other one and say, I have no need of you, because God is the one who appointed these roles. He fixed us in the body as He pleased, it says. And because of this, there cannot be any kind of schism or division in the body of Christ. We must have the same care for one another, it says. God appointed these roles, these functions in the church. But if you're attempting to try to climb up some sort of ladder of importance, you're missing the whole point. He's saying you guys are desiring the best gifts, but you're missing the point entirely. Because the point entirely is found in the beginning of the next chapter. Chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You see, at the end of chapter 12, he says, you need to, it looks like he's saying, earnestly desire the best gift. So it looks like he's going against what he's saying. No, he's being sarcastic. Hey, you just go on and you continue to desire all the best gifts you can get. You just desire to prophesy, to speak in tongues, to interpret the whole gambit. You just do all of it. But if you do that and you have no love, it's useless. If I have faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love, it is nothing. I am nothing. If I can lead people to tears in song leading, if I can get people to come down the aisles in droves at the end during the invitation song, if I can lead a prayer that will not soon be forgotten, but have not love, all of it is useless in the sight of God. If I am under the radar like the appendix, uh, the appendix or like the pinky finger in the body of Christ, but I do have love and I am doing what Christ would have me to do, then I have all the prestige, all the glory, all the status that I'll ever need. Why? Because I get to be a part of the body of Christ. That's why. Make me the heel of the body of Christ and I will be happy because I'm a part of the body of Christ. I don't need to be an eye. I don't need to be a hand. I don't need to be a bigger function than anyone else. All I need is to be a part of the body of Christ and I am happy. Do you realize how amazing that promise is that we get to be a part of the body of Christ? Do you not see how this should be all that we ever need in this life? To be just the smallest little piece on that body should be enough. Because there is no further glory, no higher place than getting to be a part of Christ's body. The majority will never get to be that. I don't know about you, but I deserve much less 
in my life. So as we get to the end of this lesson tonight, what, how does this set the stage for the rest of our quarter? How does this set the stage for our study of under-the-radar characters and individuals through Scripture? Well, hopefully it shows us up front that even though each of us have been given different talents, even though each of us have been given different gifts, even though each of us sing different, pray different, look different, and are different, each of us have a vital role, a vital part, a vital function, and a vital place within the body of Christ. The question is, do you know what it is? The question may be, is your role being fulfilled? Or has some of those Thanksgiving sides, we might say where I'm from, they're gone begging. Nobody wants them. The job that you can fulfill is going begging. Some of you understand what I'm saying. The job that God has given you, the, 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 the part that He has set you among the members to do, is not being fulfilled. You know, it may be the case that you already know your part, you know your function, you know your talent, and you simply have never used it. Instead, you have buried it in the ground. You were too shy, you were too embarrassed, you were too unsure of yourself, or you simply didn't think anyone needed you. So you just never did anything. Well, we see what happens in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus gives the parable of the talents. In verse 24 it said, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. You know, the point of this story and this parable is not that the master was disappointed that the man only had one talent. There was no problem with the man having only one talent. That's what the master gave him. The problem was that the man did nothing with it. He didn't do anything with the talent that he was given. And so it was taken away from him. And if any of the figures that we will be discussing this quarter had that mindset, if any of the figures that we will be studying and talking about and investigating and examining were the one talent person, there wouldn't have been an Esther. There wouldn't have been an Apostle Paul. There wouldn't have been a Moses. There wouldn't have been a Peter. There wouldn't have been a David. There wouldn't have been a Jesus, or as, at least as how we saw Jesus come. Because these one-talent people, 
that surrounded the five talent people weren't there to make the difference. If any of the figures that we'll be looking at had decided, I'll just let someone else do it, then we might not even be here tonight to begin this study. One of my favorite movies is one we're going to all be watching in the next weeks. It's a Wonderful Life. I've been said to have a very good impression of George Bailey in my life. I've watched it so many times. Every single year we watch this movie as a family. And every single year I am just sobbing at the end of it, and Jen C's laughing at me. I'm like, you're just heartless over there. you got to cry about George Bailey and, you know, don't you know me, Mary? You know, it, it's just so sad. I love watching this movie. But the theme of this movie we, we see is George Bailey was given the chance, given the chance to know what life is like if I had never been born, right? He got the chance to see what life would be like if he had never been born. And it was terrible. It was terrible. It was, it was terrible. In fact, his, his brother died because he wasn't there to save him. Mr. Gower went to prison because he wasn't there to get the poison out of the pills. His mother was mean. His wife was an old maid working at a library. I always thought that was interesting because surely Mary would have never turned out to be anything without George, right? Interesting. But... The town he was raised in, Bedford Falls, right? It became like Sodom. I mean, it was just terrible. Potter owned everything. He ruled everything, and it was terrible when he ran through the town. In fact, Bert and Ernie didn't even know him as he was going through the town. So he was able to see what life would be like if he had never been born. And it wasn't that great. And he wished he had never made that decision. Each week this quarter, we're going to get the chance to see what the Bible would be like if these unsung heroes had never been born. If these one-talent people, if these people who flew under the radar had never been born, and we're going to be able to see the vast difference that they really made even though they flew under the radar. You see, sometimes we think to ourselves, how much difference can I really make? How much difference can I actually make? I mean, God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. How could He actually benefit from my service to Him? How could I actually help God and make any sort of difference? And maybe like George Bailey, you think there'd be no difference if you had never been born. My answer to that is, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that He made you for some reason. He made you and expects you to fill some role and some part and some function. He has appointed you for some role. He has set you in the body as He pleased for some reason. All you have to do is discover why. To discover what. And discover how. 
my prayer that as we begin this study next week with a character from the Old Testament, a character that flew under the radar, and as we continue throughout the rest of the quarter to look at Old Testament, New Testament, heroes, heroines of, of great faith and great things, that as we examine those individuals that we will look at ourselves too and examine ourselves. Because if we do that, then there is no telling how this could change our life. There's no telling how this could change this congregation if everyone who studies with us this quarter finds their place in the body. If everyone studying with us online can find their function and their role and where God has placed them and set them among the members of the body of Christ, if everyone can look at themselves and find that place and find that purpose, there is nothing that can stop us from accomplishing great, great things. And that's exactly what God's Word should do, is it not? Change us. I pray that this quarter changes each and every one of us as we study all of these unsung heroes who flew under the radar. And with that, we're going to be closed in prayer with Brother Ben Burnett. Please bow. Dear Lord, thank you for allowing us to come together today to, to learn more about you and to learn about the, uh, uh, the unsung heroes of the Bible. Lord, uh, we understand that not all of us are going to be missionaries like Paul or be you know, prolific preachers, but help us to understand that we have a place in the church and we have a, a way that we can uh, help move your kingdom forward and, and, and bring others around us closer to you. Uh, God, please be with uh, everybody as they're traveling uh, through the holiday season. Give, uh, give everybody uh, safety and strength, and uh, please help us to, to keep our focus on you always. Lord, guide us uh, closer to you and help us to always keep in mind the, the sacrifice of your son, and it's because of him that we're able to, to, uh, to have a meeting like this and to, and to have a, such a strong community. And in your son's name we pray.